This podcast is sponsored by Luke1977. If you fancy grabbing yourself any gear from Luke, don't forget to use the code MAX20, which gets you 20% off almost anything over there at Luke. They've just brought out some really nice new clothing, so go and check that out. Really, really worth it. And don't forget to use that code MAX20 for a 20% discount. Right, hello and welcome back to another Villa on Tour podcast. I'm your host, Max Stokes, as always, joined by Simon Lyon. Simon, fresh off an, uh, an away day in the capital. How are you, mate? All good? Yeah, I'm not too bad, yeah. Villa, of course, fresh off a 1-1 draw with Brentford down in London. We'll get into talking all about our trip to Brentford in a minute. Before we do that, please do go and check out the Villa on Tour video on YouTube of our trip down to London. Uh, subscribe to Villa on Tour as well so you never miss a video over there. And of course, subscribe to the podcast as well, whether you're listening on Spotify, Apple, please do subscribe, leave some reviews, do support the show, really does mean a lot to us, so thank you very much for that. So coming up in the show, of course, we'll talk about Brentford, and I want to mention a couple of points from the fans consultation group meeting as well, all of that uh, details came out yesterday, so I think there's a couple of major talking points in there that we'll talk about in a minute as well, so let's start there, shall we? So Simon, we were sat in a pub, literally just got to the train station in Marleybone yesterday down in London, and all of this sort of information comes out, Um, there's quite a bit to get through, so if you do want to see a little bit more detail in terms of what we're going to talk about and stuff I encourage you to go and read the article uh, my old man said on Twitter put out a decent decent article so go and check that out go and listen to their podcast as well because when it comes to fan consultation groups and things like that talking about what's going on at the club go and listen to their stuff because it is really really good first thing I want to mention then is is the sort of revamp that's going on in the whole sense um, I think the in quotation marks premium concourse that is coming to the whole end um, upgrade Ramsey's bar talking about all good food and, and options and stuff I don't think you would have got the email so I'm as a season ticket holder um, in a North stand. But if you are a season ticket holder in the whole send, you would have got that, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, talking about what you want to see in the whole send and, and things like that. But I think the, the main talking point that, that we were definitely discussing yesterday was all the, the price increase with season tickets. Um, I think across the board, in terms of adults, it's going to go up 15% next season. And you you weren't happy because you have a season ticket in the Upper North uh, at the moment, and that's going to match the prices of the Upper Holt. Not great, that is it. I mean, yes, we all expected the season tickets to go up, but in terms of being an up and north season ticket holder, where for you the, the facilities aren't great at all, I think you were saying there's only two toilets to go to in the upper north. It's pretty crap to raise the prices to the same as the upper north, uh, the upper Holt. Sorry, it's not great, is it? Yeah, I, I, I find I just find the timing of it a bit odd. If I'm being honest, I, I think I think from the point I, I know what the I know what viewpoint they're coming from. They're saying that the the view of the pitch from T for T two, three, and four in the upper north is. Um, is as good as it is in the upper hole, which which absolutely is. It's totally right. However, you're talking about a stand which is a lot older than the whole stand. And so in terms of facilities, I mean, to be honest, in the upper north, you struggle to get food and drink offering. I mean, I mean, I don't. I, I, I don't buy anything personally when I'm at the match anyway, but... I mean, if you do want to get a food, um, you know, food and drink while you while you're in the north stand, then your options are really limited. And then you know the toilet facilities are really poor. It's really crammed. It takes absolutely forever to to, to get in and out of anywhere. And um, and obviously that's because of the age of the stand. And I'm not saying that doesn't happen in other areas of the ground, but the north stand in particular is because it's so narrow. It's so so narrow. Yeah. It's um, it is it is difficult. So I don't spend any time in the concourse area, and so I do find adding on another what's it going to be another fifteen percent plus another however much it's going to be to 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 go into this new price category. I find it a bit a bit mad if I'm being honest with you. I, I just don't understand why why we're going to be doing it for what looks like one final year in the North Stand. It feels a bit 
strange to me, although I'm not surprised by it. I'm really not surprised by it. I think this is where sort of footballs go, really, if I'm being honest. And I think the club are looking at other clubs in the league and looking at how much they charge yeah. for season tickets. And they're trying to get into that same sort of bracket. And I, and I think, I don't think this is the end of it. I think Villa will probably want to go further, if I'm being honest. But I think they're, they're going to try and introduce it over, over a number of years, just so, you know, the reaction isn't as bad as what it possibly could be. I mean, the club try and defend it by saying, you know, it's a cost of living crisis, obviously, and they're, they're acutely aware of that from a sports point of view. And, but they're not immune to that and, and I get it I do understand it but I struggle to believe that ticket prices really have a massive massive impact on, on, on the club's revenue I think that comes from other areas to be honest and so it's difficult. It is difficult. I mean, the time of um, a time of a cost of living crisis where people are struggling to even heat the homes or you know pay for their gas and electric. I find it. I find it pretty galling that in certain areas of the ground you might be looking at a two hundred pound price rise next season. It's the way football's going. There we saw Fulham the other week, didn't we? Releasing a oh, three thousand pound season ticket, and, <laughs> and and I think what you mentioned before we we're talking about the season ticket price rise about the corporate areas. Mm. That's another thing, though. I think I feel like I, I sort of look at Premier League football these days as this is how the clubs look at it they're looking at it as that this is a product this is like you're going to watch like a concert or going to yeah. watch any other form of entertainment and I, and I, and that's what I think they're trying to do I think they're trying to bring in even more corporate areas or whatever you want to call it it's season. the money maker isn't it that's that's the money maker it is I mean when, when I, I mean we did a bit of maths yesterday didn't we and I, and I think that <laughs> worked I worked it out from price rise what what they'll add to my season to you I think it came out to be about £38, £39 per game, mm. which is still not outrageous for a Premier League football game, I suppose. It's not. It's very quickly. It's very quickly going up, and I think that's what people are most concerned about. I think when you think about Villa, like obviously we've had a sort of very quick rise from being you know, yeah. sort of mid to lower reach of the championship into being a, obviously now a club that's battling for European football. And so... Obviously, it's felt. I think the impact's been even bigger for Villa fans because obviously our price rises have just kept coming every single year, sort of thing. And I, I think it's only going to keep progressing. To be honest with you, and I, I don't think we're that far away. I really don't think we're that far away from talking about how season tickets might end up costing people about a thousand pounds at Villa Park. I don't think we're that far away from it. But you know, the, the clubs will have the reason for it, and whether you choose to accept that or not is another thing. But the problem is, if you give up your season ticket, you're in for a very long wait. I think um, we again we got we had the calculators out, didn't we? Classic away day staple. If you're away day, got to get the calculators out. We were working all of this out yesterday, and we were talking across the board. Then you're talking what thirty thousand season ticket holders each of them having a 15 percent increase that that's an extra couple of million that's all it is an extra couple of million and it might not sound like a lot but it's, it's a business at the end of the day and I, I was saying from the business's point of view Aston Villa's point of view people are still going to pay it we can moan about it all we like but people are still going to pay it at the end of the day there, there aren't going to be empty seats at Villa Park that there's there's simply not because people will pay it, it might unfortunately it probably will price a few people out but they'll be replaced and from the business's point of view they they probably don't care um this is coming from the article that my old man said published christian perslow explained that in the meeting he is acutely aware of how uh, everybody's experiencing the effects of the cost of living crisis and inflation and things like that however the club itself is not immune from those economic pressures and it's just i don't know i think a, a tiny bit insensitive to me when you're talking about you know, Coutinho's wages, Dean's wages and things like this. But like I said, from their point of view, they probably don't care, do they? They probably don't care because people at the end of the day are still going to pay for these prices and pay for these season tickets. I think the only issue I have for it is that I read that 
And um, one of the main issues I had with it, though, is that they're citing that the the re- one of the reasons for it is that they want to heavily back Unai Emery in the transfer market. In terms not going to make a difference. Drop in the ocean. Nothing. In terms of yeah, they're talking about in terms of building you know a, a great squad to keep competing for European football, and they were they were saying it because now we've got an elite manager. I'll take you back to a year ago when when the season tickets came out for this season. Obviously, there was a what was it? A hefty price rise, wasn't it? Was it like 40, 50% for some people like yeah. this year compared to last year? It was 100% for me. And that was to do with the price increase as well as me going up from an under 21 to an adult. So I get that's because, you know, you're going up an age category, but still the increase was wild for some people. But my, but my main issue, yeah, absolutely. But my main issue is, is that they're, say, they're now saying it again, or now we have an elite manager. Well, what was the excuse last summer? Because we, yeah. we, we had a manager who clearly wasn't elite then in charge last <laughs> last season, but we still managed, we still managed to take it up. Look, look, you know, you know what? I'll never. I'm, I think it's one of these arguments that you you can keep going round and round with. Um, I'm not a. I, you know, I don't work in business. I don't work in in football business even. Um, football's massively unsustainable when you've got the likes of Coutinho and Luca Dean on you know 150, 200 grand mm. a week. You know, and and fans keep pushing. You know, obviously fans keep pushing for high profile signings, and fans are always happy when we do so. And so the clubs that answer to that would be well, yeah, but you've got to we've got to pay for it. Then I still struggle. I still struggle when we think about it. it's supposed to be. You know, it's supposed to be the people's game, isn't it? It's supposed to be the game for the supporters. And yeah, yeah, I just think about the economic uh, issues that people within the West Midlands would have had as well. You know, uh, yeah. not exactly, a, not exactly a really wealthy sort of area, is it? You know, and um, yeah, I just, um, I, I struggle to justify it in in the times that we're having. But Villa aren't the only ones. Villa, you know, it's not, and it's, you know, football's not the only thing. Look at all of our bills; everything's going up, and so. I'm not surprised by it. I'm a little bit disappointed probably, but I'm not surprised by it. Yeah, that quote that you mentioned there from Perslow says that the club's strategy is to make Aston Villa competitive with the very best teams in the country on the field and off the field. To do that, we have to try and balance our revenues with the ever-growing costs. So nobody likes to see it, but you've got got to come to expect it at this point and that, that's our views on it. A couple of other things to note then, we'll gloss over this bit. Rail seating in the upper hole I think is quite exciting for me as a season ticket holder who sits at the back of the upper hole. That'll be exciting. I think that's they've said to tackle the um, persistent standing issue that's up there. People aren't going to sit down. Stewards can come and tell us to sit down. It's happened a couple of times. Never going to happen. So I think that to combat that safe standing, which I'd love, I think it's going to it's going to help the atmosphere. It's, it's going to be safer as well. Like That's the whole point of it. Like The amount of times I've gone flying down roads and people do, it's not safe it's really not safe bashing your shins on seats in front and all sorts and things like that and when we go to away games I'd, I'd say the majority of away ends these days do have safe standing Chelsea Man City Liverpool even Brentford the other day um safe standing so I think that's a, a really important one as well and they're bringing it to the away end aren't they the um the upper Douglas maybe not the lower at this stage um but that's something to note isn't it that's exciting and they're going to do it gradually as well I think they're going to start off with 2,500 initially people stand in the lower halt as well the whole lower halt stands up I think some of the upper uh, halt sits down of course but I think it's going to have to come across the whole halt eventually in my opinion yeah it probably will but I think what you just said there about the persistent standing I think it gets the club out of um it gets the club out of a bit of a hole as well I mean financially it hits it hits Villa's pockets a little bit because it's not cheap to install it yeah. at the moment government legislation says that you can still only have uh, one supporter to every uh, ra- rail seat which obviously they are trying to change that but the, the, mm. they're trying to change government legislation to allow you to have more uh, but as it currently stands it's still only one to one however um, I think 
the main thing is though, Villa have got to be really careful with this though, because we've had persistent standing there in the upper hole and the lower hole for a number of years. And if the club did face some sort, some sort of inspection by by the council or other regulatory bodies, Villa could end up being hit with like a, a park closure of the stadium if it, if it you know if it was if it was persistent like it has been. And so this um, this moving to rail seating uh, safe standing will will obviously you know combat that sort of thing. And you know and as you said, it will be safer for people. So yeah, it's a good move. It is a good move. I'd like to see I'd like to see it in quite a lot of areas of the ground. I think it's a good idea personally. Uh, but where yeah, would you go with like, then? Where, where would you go with? I think lower north and probably the whole Holt end for me is, is where you're looking at. I think everywhere else is, is fine as it is. I think the whole end, yeah. And obviously they're going to be installing it in the way end because you have to provide away sports with it as well as home. Yeah. Um, and then probably, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd like... It's not going to happen, I don't believe. But I'd, I think for the new north stand, I think it would be... I think it would be good if we had at least the lower the lower of that um, new north stand to have it as well. But it doesn't sound like they're going to go down that route. It sounds like mm. the new to, to me. It sounds like the new north stand is going to be quite. Um, I wouldn't say corporate, but it's going to be quite a um, more costly place to sit in the ground. So I don't think they're going to be doing it there. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. Then we'll come on to the new north stand because there is a bit about that. Those those. I mean, it is a young contingent that sit in that that lower north, isn't it? The ones who want to sit by the away end and give it big. But it's going to be interesting when they do build that new new north stand. Are they going to migrate? Are they going to migrate to the whole end? Are people in the whole end going to want to try and sit in a new north stand if they don't want to say standing, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera? It's going to be interesting to see what happens there, isn't it? But if you're if you're right in what you're saying there about the new north stand being a sort of corporate area, and that's the sort of overriding narrative when they're talking about building this new stand, it's all about yeah the the corporate facilities, and we're going to make lots more money because there's going to be even better corporate boxes and corporate deals going on there and things like that. So it's going to be interesting to see what those young people who sit in the in the lower north yeah. where they sort of go to isn't it yeah you'll probably get a little bit of a shift you'll probably get as you said some people migrate from the north up towards the whole end or again do you know what it depends on what the price is going to be as well though because if True. you're talking about that the north the north stand city holders are already going to start paying more from next season and then when the new stand's built then you add another you could add another price rise onto it which i'm certain will happen people might get priced out of it people might have to start moving to other areas of the stadium if mm. i'm being honest especially when you're talking about like the young people you know, they, they, they wouldn't be able to afford, like, premium season tickets at, like, 800 quid, a, you know, a pop sort of thing. Like, like what's the most expensive one at the moment in the Trinity? Is it, is it like, seven? It's like 700, isn't yes, it? Yes, seven, 750, something like that, probably. So, you, so easily, you could be talking about a new North Stand. You could be talking it's in the 800. I wouldn't even be surprised if it's in the 900 region. As I say, we, we're getting close to this phase and pound mark, yeah. I think in the next few years without a doubt it'd be interesting to see what happens with the atmosphere as well because it's that sort of area that provides a really good atmosphere it's 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 the young ones who want to sing yeah. and those people down there who want to sing as well so yes revenue all this revenue money this money that but are you losing the fundamentals of why we go to the football eventually mm. i don't know these people who are students or they're at school or whatever if they're priced out of it you're going to be losing something in terms of the atmosphere is there as well so that's something to consider and something to worry about eventually possibly this is the thing though football is changing though and it has been since the conception of the premier league though back in 92 if we've been honest football is constantly changing and it's totally different how it was 10 years ago 15 years ago etc and uh Whichever way you want to see it, it is a bit of a, the Premier League is a bit of a corporate machine, isn't it? And it's yeah. and it and it's and, it, and it's been heading that way for a while. And the players' wages are still going up, and transfer yep. fees are still going up, and then that all comes back down to the supporters. And sport, let's be honest, supporters are squeezed for every single penny that they've got. Mm-hmm. Um, and and clubs know that the, the clubs know that it'll be successful because and the Premier League knows it'll be successful because of how loyal the supporters are. Though they, you know, support as you just said, Villa Park won't have empty seats. It'll still be full even when they have 
eight nine hundred pound thousand pound season it'll still be mm. full because people want to see people want to see Aston Villa and people will continue their loyalty no matter the cost you know some people yeah. will some people will be priced out of it but you know some people will and so it's a hard one really isn't it and I think people would say oh you vote with your feet don't you but never going to happen in football it's never ever going to happen I'm afraid last little bit then before we actually move on and talk about some real life football in terms of the North Stand redevelopment then I think some people are kind of expecting it to be in the works next season but Perslow said the timetable for demolition and rebuilding work will be announced soon following full consideration of logistical and economic factors that's a bit of a tongue twister but yeah it's not it's not going to be next season I think you're going to see at least one more year with the existing stand and then maybe um getting it going within a season do you reckon I think it's going to be a reduced allocation and things like that isn't it so yeah one one more year at least I think reading between the lines from what I've seen is that they might start working on uh, taking away some of the other buildings like the academy building and the shop and ticket office yeah. uh, maybe starting this summer um, and then I think they're aiming for a a demolition summer 24 sort of thing, to be honest. But from what I've um, just a few whispers that I've heard is that the club are apparently quite positive on the, the progress that they're making with the council in terms of the redevelopment of Witten Station. If that if that does progress, which it will have to, if Villa, like I say, if Villa are going to uh, be one of the stadiums in for the Euro 2028 bid, there's a quite high chance that England are going to win that bid. England and Ireland are going to win that yeah. bid. Um, because they're up against Turkey as the only other competitor. So it's a high likelihood it's going to be successful. And so they need to crack on with it and they won't be able to do it without the uh, redevelopment of the station. And I, I think the club's been quite clever in that. I think the club knows that. Yeah, and so I think it will be pushed through. Um, but yeah, from what I've heard, it sounds pretty positive on that front that the council are sort of getting on board with the idea. So yeah, I, I, I think it sounds like we'll, we'll expect the demolition of the North Sands being summer 24 and then Obviously, fans will be moved around for that 12 to 18 month period, however long it takes. And then, uh, yeah, and then we'll be fully ready in time for 2028. Absolutely, then. Exciting. No, that will be exciting if we do win that bid 2028, getting the Euros at Villa Park. That'll be class, that will, especially with the new stand as well. So, uh, yeah, that's that's all from the fan consultation group. If you do want to read any more on that, go and check out David's article on My Old Man Said. He does a great job um, with all the stuff in, in terms of the fan consultation group and writing up what happens in those group meetings. So, go and check that out. And, yeah, Top Man Davis, thank you for that. Right, should we actually talk about the football then? Brentford away. Um, always loving away day in London. I really do. We got the train down. Was that the first time we got the train to an away game this season? I think it was, wasn't it? Was. It? it was, yeah. We got uh, chatting to... It's always good fun, isn't it? You just get chatting to random people on the train. Even people who aren't football fans, I think, because it's the London Marathon this weekend as well. There was all sorts of people going down there, wasn't there? There was... I mean, the lads were talking to this, these people who were doing the London Marathon, honestly, the whole way down. It's just... It is good fun, isn't it? It is good fun getting the train. And we just thought we'd do something different rather than getting the coach every week. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was. I, I quite enjoy getting the train, um, but yeah, it's not as it's not as easy as the coach, obviously, because you're having to jump on and off trains, onto tubes, etc. But no, it's it was fun, um, it is good fun. Yeah, it's good fun, and yeah, we picked a really busy weekend in London because obviously the <laughs> marathon was on, and um, and then obviously there was the FA Cup semi-finals as well. So we got chatting to quite a lot of people, didn't we? But no, it was a really uh, it was a really good day. I really enjoyed it. I forgot about that actually. Yeah, on the train back, we uh, the train stops at Wembley Station. Literally, as the uh, Man City Sheffield United game was finishing, so we were. 
worried about it being absolutely packed. And you fair, it wasn't too bad, but we were just talking to uh, Man City fans and Sheffield United fans on the way back. They were heading back up north, of course. We were singing songs about Barry Bannan as well and all sorts of absolute shambles to wind up Sheffield United <laughs> fans. But it is good fun, isn't it? Just talking to football fans after they've been to the football and getting sort of different perspectives. I mean, talking to them Man City fans, they were trying to justify the, the breaches and all sorts of things like that, all their dodgy nonsense. And they were saying, oh, every club does it. And I was just sat there thinking, come on. <laughs> but it is yeah. good fun, though, getting these different perspectives from different football fans. That's another bonus, getting the train to away games. It is really good fun. Yeah, it is. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, no, to be fair, I thought they were... I thought they were good value. The the Man City fans on the train, yeah. right? They've, yeah, they've got a bit, bit of a, a bit of a biased perspective towards their, uh, you know, their their charges uh, from UEFA. But it's like a different world, isn't it? When they're talking about their sort of players, like they're talking, they're reeling off all these players like oh, De Bruyne <laughs> and Rodri, and it, it feels a bit bad, doesn't it? But uh, but no, it was good. It was. Uh, yeah, it was it was it was good banter on the train, and then uh, one of our lot was trying to try, trying to give it back to them, wasn't he? I think he was. Oh yeah, to, he was trying to wind. He was trying to wind uh, the Man City fans up, which did which did make me laugh. To be fair, the Man City fans didn't really bite. To be fair, no, so. it could have gone a lot worse. To be fair, one of our lot had quite a lot to drink, and he was just talking about how Man City will never ever be the size of Aston Villa, and talk winding them up about European cups and all sorts of things. To be fair, they weren't biting; they were being pretty sensible about it. But that that was good fun. That was yeah, no, it was, and I. I think when you when you guys got off the train, obviously I carried it on into Birmingham, but they were talking about they were talking about it when you like, you guys got off the train. And they were saying, "Oh yeah, no." But- most of the Villa lads were saying, especially the young lads and all that, but you could tell they were a little bit wound up by the comments, you could tell, but fair play to them for not biting anywhere. No, fair play to them. No, I like going to Brentford, actually. It's, it's the second time we've been there to the new stadium. It's, it's quite a nice little stadium in the nice area, isn't it? I think I've said it a million times in the in the video you would have seen. It looked like sort of student accommodation, quite modern flats sort of around Brentford. There's always building work going on in that part of the world, but it's a nice little stadium, isn't it? It kind of comes out of nowhere, but it's a decent place to go and watch football, isn't it? Yeah, I I think they've just. I think they've made the most of like the very small area they've had to build the stadium. Haven't they? Like it's so tightly packed in around there, isn't it? And mm. You wonder like how they've actually built the stadium there, don't you? But um, yeah, like you no, know, I like it. I like Brentford. It, uh, yeah, it, it's good. It's not a bad. It's not a bad one to get to either. Even if you're yeah. on, even if you're in a car or by coach or train, whatever. It's fairly easy to get to, so no, it was good. Yeah, nice big concourse as well. Two layers of the concourse, multicolored seats. Like we said earlier, rail seating in the away end. It was a really nice away end, actually. I do quite like going to Brentford, despite the fact that we never ever. Do. I mean, we've only been there twice to the new stadium. Um, our record going to Brentford in general is pretty horrendous. Playing in the sky blue kit as well. This is something I wanted to mention. I love. I mean, I, I can't remember the last time we played in that away kit. I think was it Forest. I can't remember the last time we played in that away kit. It seems like absolutely was- ages ago. It was probably Man U in the cup, wasn't it? Oh, in the cup, yeah. Yeah, yeah I guess so in the cup. There. I love a kit where it's um, all one colour as well. Whenever Villa playing all claret, I'm obsessed with that. We always seem to do well <laughs> when we wear claret shorts as well. I love an all claret kit and that all blue kit as well. Looks really, really sharp. I was a big fan of that yesterday. Yeah, it was nice. It was, yeah, it was nice. But yeah, you're right. We've hardly worn it this season. We've we've worn the third kit more, haven't we, this year? We've yeah, worn that quite a lot. Um, but yeah, we haven't won the away kit much at all this year. But yeah, I do like it. Yeah, it's smart. A small little away end yesterday as well. I think the, I think there was 17,000 people there yesterday. Um, really small attendance, one of the smallest in the Premier League. And I think the away end is sort of, I think normally when you go to away grounds in the Premier League, you're sort of getting like 3,000. But I think yesterday, what was it like? 1,700, 1,800? One of the smallest yeah, in, the, six, in the Premier League. 16, 16, 1,700, I think. Yeah, so 
Quite small, yeah, quite small away end, yeah. No, it was re- it was really good actually. It's, it's a good little wider, um, unchanged team. Then I think we kind of expected that, didn't we? Den Donker keeping his place and coming off that Newcastle game, I, I don't see why he would have changed. I think injuries is the thing for me that I'm a little bit worried about. We were speaking this morning, and you said that you'd done your um, points prediction, like predicting mm-hmm. the end of this this Premier League season, seeing where Villa would end up. And I think you were saying it kind of depends on Kamara, Cash, and even Coutinho yeah. to an extent to give us some sort of option. But I think injuries as well. It kind of feels like nothing's changed in the last couple of weeks it's it's a little bit annoying isn't it yeah it is a bit because I think I think all fans would have looked at that yesterday and thought yeah we'll go and change because of how good we were against uh, Newcastle but obviously every team provides a different challenge and I think I, I looked at it yesterday and I, it didn't quite feel like the game for Dendonka yesterday for instance and I think if we had a few more options I think if I'll be honest I think if Bailey had been fit yesterday I think he probably would have played and McGinn would have come back into the central midfield role to be honest I don't because I thought we looked we looked better when McGinn did move back into that uh, central midfield role yesterday I thought he didn't have a lot of joy out of their um of their fallback um and we just seemed to be a little bit more progressive when McGinn moved into that central field role yesterday. So I kind of feel like injuries are I'm not saying to say costing us because we're still putting in, we're still getting res- we're still getting results and points. But I think the longer it goes on, I, I really feel like if we're going to have um, if we're going to get to our aim of finishing in the European places, we need to get our players back fit. And I think when I say that, I, I especially mean probably Kamara, Matty Cash, and probably Bailey as well, just to give yeah. you. A, a different kind of option. Um, at least I know Bailey's frustrating, um, but it does give you a little bit of a different option um, compared to some of our other players. And so we looked to be light yesterday and you know, there wasn't a lot to change it with. I think especially going forward, there wasn't a lot to change. I think mm. fair play to Emery because he did get his sub spot on, to be fair to him. Um, but yeah, I just think that especially Cash and Kamara. I think Kamara is such a, a pivotal part of how we play. Um, and I think Cash, before his injury as well, he was performing well. And obviously, yeah. Ashley Young, he's done brilliantly. But, you know, he could start catching up on Ashley Young. We, he played a lot of games recently and he's, you know, he's 38. And so it would just be nice to have those two options back, Kamara and Cash. I mean, surely they can't be far away, but I just kind of feel like it hinges on that. If we're going to have a really, we need a strong end. We, the fact is, if we're going to finish in Europe, we, we're going to need to carry on this strong runner form yeah. that we've got. Um, and for us to do that, I feel like we do need these players back. I think a lot of people have mentioned how we haven't looked like we've massively struggled without Kamara. And that's right. I don't think, I would have expected us to have struggled a lot more considering how important he is for us, both defensively and going forward as well. But in the short term, yeah, we've we've dealt with it well. But I think going forward, it's it's huge, isn't it? And I think you can only ride your luck for, for so many weeks. And Ashley Young as well. You're talking about us going into another week here where we've got three games in seven or eight days. So eventually, it's only natural that it's going to catch up with them. And we saw it sort of when we had another three-game week, uh, that Leicester midweek game as well. It's, it's going to catch up. So I think you're right, really important we get these injured players back. Yeah. I, I, I think you say, like, we, we haven't really missed Kamara, but I think yesterday we did, though. I think Yeah, we did. Yeah. We, we, we struggled to retain the ball for long periods, especially that second half. We had a 20, 25-minute spell, and I think uh, Emery said it, where we struggled to keep hold of the ball. And Kamara mm. is so calm on the ball, and he shows for the ball from the goalkeeper all the time and from his defenders. And... Um, and I think we really missed him yesterday, personally. And he's a top player, isn't he? He's an absolute top player. And so um, it would just be, it'd be such a big boost if we could get him back for either Tuesday or well, especially at Man United next weekend, um, along with Matty Cash, really. I just think it'd be such a huge boost to us. So unlucky with Kamara as well, because he's had sort of three 
I mean, the, the last couple, I mean, he played again in that Chelsea game, didn't he? But he came on off at half time. It's been so unlucky. That first one was a really lengthy one that he came back sort of faster than we expected. And he's had these two now. It's just like he hasn't, I mean, he's been great for us this season. He has when he's played, but he hasn't really been able to get that rhythm going. And it's so, so frustrating. I think that huge game against Man United next week, I mean, obviously we've got Fulham first to deal with, but I think he's not going to play in that one. If he can come back for that Man United game away from home, that's going to be absolutely massive. Cash as well. So, so important to get these players back. Yeah, and I think we kind of rushed Kamara back a little bit, which probably aggravated yeah. the injury he had. And that's really, really frustrating, really. But uh, yeah, it'd be good to see them back. I'm assuming they can't be far away. And I think Coutinho nah. as well. Like well, Coutinho's been out for absolutely ages. They originally said that he was looking at being back start of April because his last game that he played was in that Arsenal defeat, wasn't he? And it was yeah. like his only good game of the season. That was his first goal of the season. Do you know what? He was brilliant in that game. So for him to be back, it would be a huge boost, but it just feels like he's been out. It's nearly two months now, isn't it? It's it's not great. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. He offers you something different. I mean, if you were looking at the game yesterday and you were thinking, oh, we need something different, you know, attacking-wise, you could have brought Coutinho on. He might have, you know, added something a little bit slightly different. And that's the problem at the moment, is that the players are performing very, very well. But uh, when you, you know, things don't always go your way, as, as evidence yesterday, because when you come up against good sides, it doesn't always go your way, um, and you need you need players to be able to change that from the bench. And uh, I mean, we did it to an extent yesterday. I mean, we we changed it to an extent, but mm. I mean, just you, you would have been nice to have those extra options. And uh, that's the only thing at the moment. I think we are struggling a little bit in terms of that. But yeah, we've still got um, we've still got a, a good few weeks of the season left, and obviously, hopefully, these players will be back in the next couple of weeks or so. Yeah, there's only so much you can do when you're so light, though, isn't there? I think you're looking yeah. at that bench and going forward. There's only there's only so much you can do. I think there's only uh, Traore to come on that you sort of look at and think, okay, he could offer something different. I mean, against Newcastle, you had Travis Patterson, who I'd never heard of. I mean, you watch the under twenty ones pretty much well all the time and pretty regularly. Did you uh, have you heard of him before? But to see him on the bench, it was it was a strange one, wasn't it? I've heard of him. I've never. Um, I've never, I, I don't recall really seeing him much, and I think that's because he's not really played in the under twenty ones much. Though he's, he's a he's a proper youth player. He's a mm. he's an under 18s player. Which, to be fair, a lot of the Villa under twenty ones uh, setup is at the moment. They've got a lot of under 18s who've sort of been promoted to that level. Um, but I haven't really seen him much, to be honest with you. I, um, I knew he was a forward, but I haven't really seen him a lot. And so, yeah, for him to be on the bench yesterday and for last week against Newcastle, yeah, it was uh, it just showed you kind of how light we are. And obviously, we're still going with two goalkeepers on the bench as well. Um, so, we are light. We are definitely light. And as you say, we've only really got Traore and John Duran like, going forward as our mm. uh, big options at the moment. So, it would be nice to get some more people back, definitely. I don't think we were particularly bad at the weekend. I think you've got to give credit to Brentford. I thought they were very decent. The old cliche, it's a hard place to go, comes into mind. And it is. They've only lost two home games all season to, to Newcastle and Arsenal. So they've been very, very good at home this season. I don't think we were bad. I just think it was one of them afternoons where we were a little bit flat. We couldn't trap the ball. Players weren't quite getting into the game as much as they would have liked. Ollie Watkins, Jacob Ramsey stand out for me. Probably didn't get into the game as much at all as we would have liked. But credit to Brentford, I think, I think has got to go there. I think they were very, very decent yesterday. Tactically, really good in terms of shutting out our dangerous players. Yeah, definitely. I thought that tactically they were really astute. I mean, you can see why they get a lot of joy at home. They're very strong at the back. They don't give... They don't give many chances away. They keep a very, you know, sort of uh, solid bat line and um, they look to do that switch of the play constantly. Mm. Um, and it caught us out 
a few times yesterday. It really did. I mean, um, Ashley Young was struggling at one point with it. He, he well, no, struggled most of the game with it, if I'm being honest. And then, then even the goal that we conceded sort of came from it as well. Um, and they're very good at it. They are very, very good at it. So, yeah, you can... And they're quite physical as well, aren't they? They're very, yeah. very physical side. And you can see why they do well at home, definitely. They're not so good away, obviously. You're playing like that away can... You know, can, can cost you, which I think he, I think I think it does for Brentford. But I think their home, well, like I said, they've only lost twice at home all season, which mm. um, is a really, really good record. So we knew we were in for a tough game yesterday at Brentford. Um, and so I think to come out of it with a point like we did, you know, it has to be a point gained, really. When we we didn't play brilliant, I don't think we were terrible yesterday. I thought first half we were okay, um, and then second half we had a we had a really poor spell in the second half, a, a really poor twenty five minute spell where. Yeah. I mean, it felt like there were felt like the goal was coming for a while, to be honest. And so, I think for us to fight back from that position was was really good. I mean, the teams, Villa teams of the past might not have done that. Um, so, you know, with the back, you know, our backs were against the wall, sort of thing, a little bit, and it could have easily gone the other way when Brentford went into a further lead, but they didn't. Villa got their heads down, and um, obviously, the, the changes helped. The tactical changes he made helped in the second half, and we got ourselves back in the game. And I think we had a strong last fifteen minutes, to be fair. And mm. I, I think I said if the game had continued for another five ten minutes, I think Villa were probably going to be the team to win it. To be honest, I think they've got really good balance, Brentford. Like you said, they've got some big lads at the back: Ben Mee, Ethan Pinnock. Like they're not stand out like well, you know, they're really great defenders. But I think as a unit, Brentford they work really well. Their front three as well, really impressive. And Buemo, um, Tony, and a new lad that I hadn't heard of before yesterday I'm going to be honest that's Sharda I think they got mm. in January he's on loan from Freiburg I think he had a lot of the ball yesterday Denis was quite tricky causing yeah. um, Ashley Young a couple of problems but I think in that first half nothing really happened I think McGinn had a chance Buendia had a chance early on where he sort of stabbed it just wide of the post but it was a bit bit of a flat first half wasn't it I think eventually we probably would have been happy with, with the nil-nil at that point for sure I think it was a typical uh, Unai Emery away performance though first half I think we you know we didn't give away that many chances to them I mean we didn't create loads ourselves but we had a couple of decent opportunities obviously Buendia's shot was turned wide by the keeper and then obviously John McGinn's shot that was really unlucky that one was where mm. he uh, clicked the post and went wide I think it was a typical Unai Emery first half performance I think he, he would have been quite happy with the first half I think we we controlled the ball okay in the first half we weren't too bad with that but I Obviously, he wouldn't have been impressed with the first 20, 25 of the second half, unfortunately. Big moment then that happened at half-time that kind of shocked us a little bit was uh, Robin Olsen coming on as a substitute for Emmy Martinez, who seemed to uh, have a stomach bug, apparently. I'd rather him have a, a stomach bug or you know, being sick or something else, <laughs> having, having problems like that, rather than a, a muscle injury or hurt his shoulder or his knee or something like that. So... You'd hope Emmy Martinez will be back for Tuesday's game if it is if it is a stomach bug, as long as it's not a pretty bad one. But Olsen, I'm not just saying it because I I like moaning about players. I really don't. And Olsen's not going to listen to to this podcast, and it's nothing to do with the man himself. I'm sure he's a lovely bloke, but he is a terrible, terrible goalkeeper. I'm not going to dance around it. He's a terrible goalkeeper. You said it, which I think summed it up brilliantly yesterday. That he reminds you of Kalinic. He, he just, whenever he comes on, we can see goals. And whether that Tony goal yesterday was down to him or not, probably not. I mean, it goes through his legs. Of course it does. But whenever he plays, he can see his goals. He's he's nervous. You can tell he doesn't communicate. He doesn't give you that sort of presence that someone like Emi Martinez does. I'm sure he makes the defenders massively nervy. He had that one in the second half that kind of summed him up where a ball was put over the top for Embuemo, uh, by Embuemo, sorry. And he kind of just dives on the ball and I look away in the stands because I thought, oh, he's caught that, fair enough. And he drops it and they should score. I don't know how Sharda misses it, but 
what, what is he doing? But just, just concentrate. Sweden's number one or not. He's a terrible, terrible goalkeeper. And for me, first thing you need to do in the summer, get a new number two. How Sharda didn't score was ridiculous. I mean, he had all the time in the world as well. He just should have took a touch and just rolled it into the net. He tried to take it first time and um, he got it all he got it all wrong. But I think there's a couple of problems with Olsen. And, I, and I've been thinking about it. And I think, I think how we play doesn't suit him either. I think obviously Villa rely on a goalkeeper being able to play out from the back um, because that's how we play football under Unai Emery. The problem is his distribution is not good enough for that. And so, and he knows he knows that and the team knows that. And so what happens is we end up going long, which we were doing quite a long time in the second half yesterday. And it wasn't working. Like Watkins wasn't getting much joy out of their big centre-halves. It just wasn't working. Um, so there's that element of it. It disrupts the way we play. And that sounds mad, that does. But it genuinely, our, goal, our goalkeeper needs to be good with his feet. Otherwise, our system, yeah. it doesn't. It's very flawed if, if, if he's not very good with his feet. Um, so there's that element to it. But then, you know, you can sort of live with that, I suppose, from your number two. As long as he comes in and, uh, and he's actually sort of semi-competent, he actually looks like he's going to make a save. And I mean... You know, I always I always say to you, I hate the phrase when people say, Oh, he's a good shot stopper mm. and I'm always like, Well he should be, he's a goalkeeper. That, that's that's <laughs> the that's number that's number like that's A of what they yeah. should be doing as a goalkeeper. <laughs> that's the priority, surely. Um but I don't even think he's that because for no, me and not. and again, I don't want to dig him out. I really don't want to dig him out. I'm not personally criticising the guy, but I'm just I'm just seeing I'm just comments on what I'm seeing on the football pitch every time he plays. He never looks like to me like he's going to make a save. He never. He always looks like he's going to be a goal every time. And I mean, mm-hmm. even the offside one when you know they ran through and it was offside. Fortunately, uh, again, I'm not saying he should have saved it, but he didn't even he didn't get anywhere near it. He didn't look like he was gonna. He didn't look like he was gonna save it. So well, he didn't. Obviously, it went in. Um, and but even on the goal, okay, the cross came in and. Maybe we shouldn't have let the cross come in. Moreno sort of let him get the cross in. Ashley Young is a bit unlucky. He missed the ball at the back post, and Tony just gets a foot to it, and he just goes straight for Olsen's legs. But do you know what? I'd, and this is going to sound harsh, but if Marcez was in goal, I don't think that goes in. I genuinely don't think it goes in. He's such a, a you know a, like a man mountain in goal, Martinez. Mm. I genuinely don't think that goes in. Um, and and again, I'm not expecting Robin Olsen to be an Emmy Martinez. I'm not. That's like. You know, you're not gonna. It's it. He's poles apart. He's a, he's the best goalkeeper in the world. He's a World Cup winner. You're, yeah. you're not gonna get your number two to be happy to sit on the bench. Who's gonna be at the same level of Martinez? Of course you're not. Um, but at the same time, you still need a competent number two. And the problem because the thing is, we have been without Martinez for a number of games this this season. Yeah. Um, and every time we come to this point when we're all really worried about our number two, and it shouldn't should not be like that. You should be thinking, okay, well, Olsen comes in or whoever our number two comes in, and yeah, it'll be okay until Emmy's back. We don't feel like that, do we? We feel like we're okay as long as the opposition doesn't have a shot. And like like when we went to Spurs and he kept a clean sheet that day. They kept a clean sheet because Spurs didn't have a shot. They didn't have a shot on target that day. And that was why. He just and he gives I think he gives the team. He he makes the he makes the rest of the team look nervous because he's so jittery, isn't he? Mm. He just looks like he's nervous all the time. Um and he has to get that reassurance constantly. And I, I noticed at one point yesterday, like Emery, I was like thumbs like kept thumbsing up to him. Like after he made that mistake, you know, he made the mistake to when they should have uh, when they should have scored. And like Emery was like thumbs like giving him the thumbs up afterwards. And I thought that just shows you like the level of like confidence he has though. Like he, he, Emery was doing it to sort of, you know, G him up to say, Come on, we've got another 
you know, an hour of this game. Sorry, half an hour of this game. We need to, you know, you need to, we need to step it up. We need to, you, we need you to see it through, sort of thing. And that just worried me. I just think, oh my god, if your goalkeeper's that lacking confidence and he's that jittery, like it's just a message it sends to the rest of the team. And I do think it. I think it really affected us. I think it affected us um, definitely playing the ball out and getting any sort of rhythm and momentum in our passing game. And um, Emery sort of denied that after the game. I think, but I still, I still, yeah, I still think it was a big thing in the second half. And um, yeah, not to call him out. And I'm not again. We don't want to call him out. And, he, and he's probably a lovely bloke, but that doesn't that doesn't mean anything. He at the moment he's he's, he's shown this season. Unfortunately, the games he's played. He's not good enough for us. And, you know, he cost us away at Man U in the Cup. He cost us yeah. at home against Stevenage in the other Cup. And, yeah, I mean, like you can't say at the moment he's massively cost us in the Premier League when he has played. But I think that's more luck than judgment, if I'm being totally honest. We're not expecting him to be Martinez. You've already said that. We're really, really not. We're not expecting him to be that good. But you, you expect him, you're right, that word, competent to come in and, and do a job. We're not expecting him to be like outrageous and really challenge Martinez. We're not. We just want to see some level of a, a decent goalkeeper. And at, at this point, you'd, you'd probably rather see someone like Asina Salo coming off the bench because mm-hmm. whenever Olsen's played, he, he, he just concedes goals and does not make saves. That's just not what you want from your goalkeeper. And I was, I was Neil Cutler's done um, a couple of Villa podcasts, and I've listened to them. And he's sort of, he's probably just saying this because he's on a Villa podcast and stuff. And he was saying Robin Olsen's a great number two, and he's there to learn, and he's got a great mentality. That, that's that's really good, but but he's not a very good goalkeeper. That you know, front and center, you want a good goalkeeper, an okay goalkeeper. He's simply not that, and mm. I think he needs to but, go in the summer. We need to get someone else in for sure. I think. I think the thing is, is that I mean, you look at his history, and he was bought by Roma for like, it was it was decent money. I think it was eight nine million or something at the time. It was bought by Roma. It might be more than that. It was it was a fair bit of money anyway. And he only played, I think, eighteen nineteen times for Roma. He started as their number one that season. He played eighteen or nineteen times, and then Roma realised this bloke's not good enough, and then they tried to ship him out. And that's when he then he went to Everton on loan. And he played second fiddle uh, at Everton, and then he went to, obviously. We then went to Sheffield United on loan as well, and then he was well. Sheffield United fans talk about how poor he was there, and that's in the Championship. And then obviously they were they were quite happy when he left, um, which was mad because Sheffield United was struggling last year. Um, and then obviously it just feels like do you know like it kind of feels like we, you know when you sign a player just for the sake of it just because it's a body it yeah. kind of feels like that like when we signed like Augustinson for instance in the <laughs> summer everyone said he was going to compete with like Dean yeah and he, he obviously never was because he wasn't good enough either and it kind of feels like that sign and it kind of feels like we need to fill a void we need a goalkeeper uh, and we've got one but I, I just think it's really poor planning, though, because the time when you need to rely on him, you basically can't rely on him. And it was kind of the same with Augustinson. It was like when we needed to call upon him, we realised, well, actually, this bloke's not good enough. So it's a bit like, well, what's the point in having him on the on the yeah. team's roster? Then what's what's the actual point? You might as well. Uh, you might as well. I know it's hard. It's hard to sign a. It's hard to sign a very good backup. I I, get, I totally understand that. But you'd rather have a you'd rather have a younger player than wouldn't you who he's gonna learn and and might you know develop a little bit more than I'd I'd rather that really rather than a a thirty three year old who probably isn't gonna learn anymore he's probably not where he's where he is and that's it so um, yeah it was one of them Stephen Gerrard signings which again I don't don't really understand and um, I for me it needs to be a priority in the summer it definitely needs to be a priority we need to improve that goalkeeping department under under Martinez definitely sorry Robin if you're listening that that's our views but yeah it's 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 a terrible terrible thing that we've got there with a second choice goalkeeper not great at all I think another big moment going towards the end of that game was Luca Dean coming on for Moreno I think in the last mm. couple of weeks Moreno's been our 
probably one of our better players. He really, really has. He's that out ball, the way we play and going up that left-hand side is so, so important. Don't think he, he really got involved as much as we would have liked yesterday. He had a tough afternoon. But to be fair, when when Luca Dean came on, I thought he was very good. I mean, he got kicked in the face and the referee didn't even give a free kick. Even the goalkeeper, David Ray, was sort of waving at the, the, the medical staff to get on as quick as possible. And there's photos going around of Luca Dean's face after the game where he's got a black eye and he's cut his eyebrow and things like that. So the referee had a, a terrible afternoon yesterday. But I liked Luca Dean when he came on yesterday. He's obviously involved in the equaliser, putting nice balls into the box. Completely different player to Moreno, but I thought he was good. He was he was good, and I think Villa are blessed by having two very, very good left-backs, personally. I think... I think we've got a bit of a short memory because of how good Moreno's been. I think in a lot of Villa fans' minds is that Luca Dean's all of a sudden become really poor in their head sort of thing. Mm. He hasn't. Luca Dean, Luca Dean is a, he's a good player. He's still a top fullback, but he's very different to Moreno. He's not, he hasn't got the burst of pace that Moreno does, obviously. And um, But, He's always been he's always been fairly good defensively, Luca Dean, and uh, and when he does get forward, he doesn't get forward as quick as Moreno. But when he does get forward, he's got a decent sort of cross on him. And to be fair to Dean, it was him involved in the goal. It was him that was putting yeah. the ball over for the goal. And um, yeah, I thought he came on and did really well, and he totally shored shored up that back line. I mean, they didn't get the better of him at all down down that left hand side when he came on. Same for Chambers on the other side. To be fair to him, but yeah, I think for Villa to have two very very good left backs is uh, is good and. Whether that's sustainable moving forward, I know Luca Dean's Villa's highest earner or one of them anyway. Um, whether that's sustainable moving forward, I don't know. But at the moment, it's quite nice. We've spoiled for choice a little bit, and we've got two players who are very, very different to each other, which is uh, which is always a bonus. So the equaliser comes then with a couple of minutes to play. One-one, uh, Douglas Louise, and literally until we came out of the stadium yesterday, I was adamant that Jacob Ramsey scored. I don't know why. I mean, we were five rows from the back. That's my excuse. But I swear to you, I thought it was Jacob Ramsey who scored. It kind of, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why. Genuinely, and. I mean, I'm watching the replays back and you can clearly see it's Louise and he's literally running towards the away end on his own. So I don't know. I don't. I literally no idea where that's come from. That's really bizarre. I, I knew it was Louise straight away. I said to you. I said to you after the game. I was like, I've no idea what you were watching because I knew it was. I knew it was Louise straight away. And I complained to you in the first half about how I couldn't see properly as well because we were so far back. But I, I've got to say, I can still. I can still make out that it was Louise. I was, sort of, I was sort of thinking to myself, why is no one singing the Jacob Ramsey song? Like, come on, why, why is, <laughs> let's get it going. What's going on? Yeah, really, really weird that was. Would you say it was? I think it was coming, wasn't it? But in the context of the game, where Brentford probably just about. The the better side would you say it was a smash and grab in the end I don't know I don't know because I, 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 don't, I don't know if I would call it that I, I think that I think a lot of people say we were lucky or a lot of people will say that we, it was an undeserved point but I'm not sure I think on the I think if you look at the game I don't think they had loads of chances did they Brentford and if they did they, they would have scored with Arsenal in goal well, I, well yeah but <laughs> I, I I don't, I don't, I don't think they carved us open or had loads of chances to be totally mm. honest I think the defence still did a decent job. I think where they did get the better of us was down our flanks, without a doubt. Um, and it might have felt like it was, you know, a very one-sided game, but I don't think it actually was. I mean, when you look at the chances overall, like, I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure. I think that, yeah. And, and for that final part, I think it kind of was coming. I think we'd, we was threatening it, weren't we? Obviously, Ramsey had his chance, which he probably should have yeah. done better with. Um, we were. Yeah, we're having a few little half chances going on, pinging around the box a little bit. Chambers was putting a few crosses over and Troy Allray, etc. Um, so it felt like it kind of was coming, and then obviously it wasn't a great goal to concede from Brentford's point of view. It was, um, it was sort of pinging around, wasn't it? And it, you know, what well, it was given straight back to Buendia. And I've got to say that Buendia did really well though for that assist though, because he got his head up and uh, picked out Louise uh, yeah. like immediately. Very quick thinking from Buendia. Um, 
And a lot of players, you know, they would have just kicked it anywhere sort of thing. But Brendan had that sort of insight to think, no, like, I'll, I'll look up for just a split second mm. and, and like pick that pass out, which he did perfectly. And it was a good finish by Louise. So it did feel like it was coming. It did. And I don't want to, this is not, this is not me with Claret and Blue tinted specs on sort of thing. It's, I, I don't, I'm not saying we were great yesterday, but um, I saw Thomas Franks interview after the game and he was, he was a little bit bitter about it. He was, trying to say that oh there was only ever one winner in the game and that was Brentford and and I and I was a bit like I'm not sure I don't I don't think uh, I don't think Villa were great I don't think Brentford were brilliant either I, mm. I, I, I kind of feel like the point was probably the right result if I'm being totally honest it, it still probably felt like a bit more of a point game for us than it did them yeah. I get it with a late goal of course it did um, but the overall play of the game I don't think they absolutely you know, had the better of the game, if I'm being honest. I think it was fairly even. I think it was, it kind of lacked quality, didn't it, the game? I don't think either side really had too many clear-cut chances. I don't think there was going to be loads of goals in the game. I think it was just one of them where going forward, we kind of lacked a bit of quality. And that sort of showed, after we got that equaliser, we were chasing that winner and it was all a bit frantic, wasn't it? It was all a bit yeah. wild. Was like we had passes going astray. We had a couple of sort of, half chances I don't think when we were chasing that winner we had any clear cut where you thought oh we really could have won it there maybe but I just thought it was all a bit wild all a bit panicky and in the end you'd 100% settle for that that point like you said at the start of the show it was a point gained rather than a couple of points lost wasn't it really really important point and again what's that nine and beaten now that's three goals conceded in nine games or something like that it's incredible form and just to stay unbeaten I think was was massive for mentality reasons as well going into Tuesday 100% yeah, I was pleased with the fight of the team. Like I say, I think when you go one nil behind there and um, it's a tough place to go, they were playing well in that 20, 20 25 minute spell. Um, I think it would be very easy for us to, our heads to drop and cave in and the us go 2 3 nil down, which would have happened previously with, that, with this team. It would have happened. But the team kept going. The team did keep going. And they weathered that storm. They got their changes on. And I think that was the one thing I'd say as well. I think we're a little bit unfortunate because obviously Emery was about to make his changes anyway. He had his three changes lined up, which the three changes, which actually worked in the end as well. And I think it was a little bit unlucky because obviously he was waiting for that passage of play where he was going to be able to get them onto the field. And because when they had the corner, and stuff he, 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 wait, he waited on bringing them on uh, obviously you do you don't disrupt the defensive setup when you you know when, uh, if you're about to make a sub um, so I think we're a little bit unfortunate with that obviously the goal happened while the three were still waiting to come on so slightly a little bit unfortunate I suppose with that one but no I was pleased with the fight I think they fought, they, they fought back quite well um, that response in the final 15 was good and it's, it shows that the team's confident at the moment though and it believes in, in, in their, their own abilities and um yeah, I think in the end it was a, it was a sort of deserved point and tough place to go. It keeps us unbeaten, unbeaten in nine. Um, and yeah, and we move on. We move on to Tuesday's game, which is another huge game at Villa Park, really. And a game which, if we're going to be honest, if we're going to reach our targets, we we have to win on Tuesday, really. A brilliant trait that Villa have got is that they don't know when they're beaten and you kind of know that Villa are going to score in every game. I said it on the video yesterday that Villa have now scored in their opening 19 games of Unai Emery's mm. tenure. That's a Premier League record. No mm. team has scored in their first 19 games of a new manager's tenure. That's incredible. Like To, to beat us, teams need to score at least two now. So to have that sort of that that record and scoring in every game, it's it's a brilliant, brilliant trait to have. 
It is brilliant, but just playing devil's advocate, is that a little bit of a weird stat, though? <laughs> just was a bit of a weird stat, though. That's the I mean, only yeah. thing, like, who com- like who no, no fair, fair play. It's a brilliant achievement still. You know, it is. It really is. But <laughs> it's the first time I've ever heard anything like that before, though. I just feel We've like... have heard that a lot this season, haven't we? Loads <laughs> yeah. of random stats coming out of nowhere. It's like, uh, kind of pushing the boundaries here a little bit. But no, like, come on, I'd, I'd take that. That is really impressive. Oh, 19 games, scoring a goal no, in each. Fair play. No, it is impressive. And I mean, it shows, like, the, the abilities you've got in the team going forward and how the players have executed Emery's tactics uh, yeah I think it's a bit of a, a weird stat who's, who, who's found that one out I'd love to know it's, oh, just, God, a, nice. it's just a funny one isn't it I keep reading all these stats I think it's mad how they, how they keep being generated how they keep coming out of the woodworks I think how do you know that like, <laughs> how do you know who scored like Oldham's goals in 1992 in the Premier League or something like that like where, where's that written down or like Barnsley or something it's just like what where's that come from it's weird right then Fulham on Tuesday, we'll just gloss over it quickly. You're right. If we if we're serious, it's a game we've got to be winning. I think they've won their last couple of games, Fulham, but before that they'd lost five in a row. When we went there early on in the season, we were at our lowest point ever. It was horrendous. We're not going to see anything like that uh, this time round at Villa Park. But it's a game you've got to be winning, isn't it? It's a game you've got to be winning. And do you know what? I, I think we will. I think we'll win on Tuesday. Yeah, we we need to win. If we if we're serious about wanting to finish in the European places, however difficult that might be. Um we need to win the game. I think um, you know, we don't want to think Fulham are on the beach too much because obviously if Fulham got a win at Villa Park on Tuesday, they wouldn't be that far behind us again. Yeah. Um, so I think a win on Tuesday kind of cements us in that top eight, if I'm being honest. I think it probably does cement you in to get eighth. Um, mm-hmm. And then it allows you to start thinking, okay, can we can we possibly get either a fifth or sixth or a seventh sort of thing? And, and I think that, it's going to rely on. It's going to rely on other teams. I keep saying focus on each game. That's all you can do. The next game, and and I'm still, I'm still, you know, I'm still a big believer in that. But obviously, you you do look a little bit further ahead, and I and I think it's going to, you know, I think to get to get into Europe, it's still going to be. We're still going to have to have a very, very good end to the season. I think looking at the other teams and what their games. I mean, Liverpool have got a, a nice little run in. Um, Spurs, Spurs have got a tough running, but they've got a few. You know, they, they've got um, they've got the extra. Well, they're playing today, aren't they, against Newcastle? But they, they, they've got they've got tough games. But you know what Spurs are like; they can still pull out a result. And then obviously Brighton. Brighton have got a lot more games, but they're going to have to play. I think it's seven matches in May, which um, which is quite a lot. Two games a week basically for the whole of May. Um, while Villa obviously will only be having one game a week, sort of thing. Yeah. So you you kind of think. You kind of think Brighton will drop points. I think we'll all drop points, if I'm being honest. I think all of us will drop points at some point um, out of out, us, Liverpool, Brighton and Spurs. Um, it's going to be tight. It's going to be really tight. And for, for on, I think from Villa's point of view, it's really going to come down to the games that we've got against Liverpool, Spurs and Brighton, really. And, and obviously, we've got, to, we've got to win the games that we're expected to as well. The home game against Fulham and the away game against Wolves. That will make things yeah. a lot easier for us if we can do that. Um, but yeah, Tuesday's the next really big one, the next sort of cup final, so to speak. Um, and yeah, you, you'd back us to go and beat Fulham, you would. But just again, just uh, just to focus on our own game, really not get too far ahead of ourselves and just just, uh, just try and get that three points no matter how, how we do it, really. Yeah, look, Fulham have had a, a really, really good season. I think if they hadn't gone on that sort of five-game losing streak and they'd maintained where they were at the start of the season, Fulham, I think Marco Silva would have been in contention for manager of the season, yeah. especially if Arteta doesn't win the league with Arsenal. I think, I mean, we did our Premier League predictions at the start of the year and we were both sort of saying, yeah, Fulham Fulham will be down there, won't they, if not getting relegated. So they've had an excellent season. They've got a couple of bright players. But I think, realistically, we've got to be winning on Tuesday, and we might got to be winning. And uh, any final words then? I think... 
yes, we haven't won at the weekend, which feels a little bit strange, but uh, you've got to be positive, got to be positive and keep rolling on the games anyway, coming thick and fast, aren't they? So bring on Tuesday. Yeah, 100%. And uh, go nine games unbeaten in the Premier League whenever you do it is uh, is not an easy feat at all. And so that's something to be celebrated, definitely. It's a, it's a really, really big achievement. So the players are still there. They're still there performing. Um, you know, if you'd have said back in October, November time that we'd be in this position talking about whether we could finish in the top seven, um, I think Villa fans would have thought you were, you know, talking absolute rubbish, to be fair. And so for us to even be talking about it is an achievement. Um, I won't lie. I think if we don't, if we don't make it, it will kind of feel a little bit disappointing now. I think now we've been talking about it. Um, yeah. But either way, either way, when you reflect on it, we've had a remarkable uh, second half of the season under Emery. And um, yeah, and let's just let's just hope we can keep it going. Some key games coming up and. Um, yeah, and it will define where we where we come at the end of the season. But I'm looking forward to it. I'm really looking forward to it. I'm glad to be in the conversation. It feels so good to have something to you know to fight for, something positive to fight for at the end of the season. Um, and so yeah, on to Tuesday, um, a really big game. Lovely stuff. If you do want to keep up to date with what we're up to, obviously we'll be at every game uh, between now and the end of the season. We'll obviously be off to uh, America in the summer. And uh, I am here in rumblings. This isn't public knowledge that there will be a European game between that America trip and the start of the season as well. So no doubt we will be there. So if you want to keep up to date with what we're doing, please do subscribe to Villa on Tour on YouTube. Subscribe to this podcast as well so you never miss an episode out uh, pretty much every Monday morning. So don't miss an episode on that side of things. Thank you very much for listening. Listening to this podcast. Have a good rest of your week and up the bill.